The Tablet Show, episode 50, with guest Greg Levenhagen. Recorded live Friday, September 7th, 2012. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Greg Levenhagen about Windows 8 development. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to The Tablet Show. It's Carl, it's Richard. It's Windows 8. It's all of them mobile things for the next hour or so. What's up, my friend? Mobile and tablet. That's what I like. Love it. I'm liking that we're taking the tablet show on the road. We are. So we're being all tablet-y, traveling across the country. So it is the .NET Rocks road trip, of course, and mm-hmm. you can go to .netrocks.com slash ASPX. But it is also very much a tablet-ish show because it's all about Windows 8. Of Visual course. Studio and modern apps and a modern life cycle. Mm-hmm. We got to deal with that stuff. So needless to say, it impacts the tablet show. We're going to be there. We're hopefully going to have some tablets to play with. So we'll have some fun. And we'll do some tablet shows live uh, as well, probably. You bet. Yeah. So uh, I got a better no framework for you. You're going to like. Well, play me the music. Here it goes. All right. Now, if you go over to tinyurl.com slash win8connect. Uh-oh, what could this be about? Connect for Windows to add Windows 8 desktop app support. No. Well, you know, it, it it's interesting because it's desktop app support. And as far as I know, you know, Windows 8 desktop is essentially Windows 7. Right. So this is kind of a non-starter. However, here's what it does support. Expanded, and this is according to Mary Jo Foley, mm-hmm. expanded sensor data access, including color camera settings and extended depth data. More tools and samples, such as a new sample that demonstrates a best-in-class UI based on the Connect for Windows human interface guidelines. And support for Windows 8 desktop applications, Microsoft.NET 4.5 and Microsoft Visual Studio 2012. And she writes, desktop apps are legacy Windows apps that will run in the Windows desktop on Windows 8 alongside the so-called Metro-style modern apps built using the WinRT API. So it's really not Connect for WinRT. Right. But it is, you know, a version of the API that works with .NET 4.5 in the desktop side. Well, and there's an interesting problem on the on the WinRT side because of the way that processes are encapsulated. You know, they're going to have a totally different approach to the driver to get access to the connect data in the first place it's got to come in through the uh the kernel itself which is a problem yeah and i i gotta think and i don't know because i'm not in the know even though i'm a connect mvp they do not share their plans with anybody right outside outside redmond i gotta think that at some point we're gonna see windows 8 metro you know tablets with a connect built in and just the way huckabee said Although it's interesting just thinking about putting the Kinect sensors onto a tablet and trying to use them. So now you're holding a tablet in your hand and you're waving your hand, your other hand in front of it? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, apparently there must be a mode for that, but I, I think perhaps this would have to be used when you would set the tablet down and 
uh, you know, and, and put it on a little stand, yeah. like the surface, you know. It, it needs to be stable. Like, just that's too many things moving at once. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Interesting problem. I agree. Well, anyway, who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of show 48, and that's the one we did with Rocky Laka talking about his experience building Win8 tablet apps for the Enterprise. And, yep. you know, we also got to CSLA and all that good stuff. And, and it, I think Rocky actually painted a really good picture of what what the skill set shift is, how how profound these changes actually are. But you'll love this comment because it's aimed straight for you, actually, Carl. And okay. it's from Nick Barrett, who says, Hi, guys. I love both shows a lot. I usually end up listening to each show at least twice hmm. to make sure I glean as much info from each one as my brain is capable of. To Carl's question of if there is a way to simulate touch points programmatically in WinRT, I wonder if this could help. And he provides a link to this touch injection reference interface mm -hmm. that is part of the Win8 uh, development uh, UI. And it's got uh, a reference interface for injecting touch when you're doing touch automation test frameworks using C++, which I know right. is not your usual way to do development. And I'll certainly add that link into uh, the show notes for anyone who wants to look yeah, at it. Yeah, there that. isn't a managed wrapper around it, but if you do, if you can get the right, you know, declare statements, uh, you know, all of that interop uh, p invoke stuff going you can do it sure and and and, and as nick says this is an api that allows you to simulate touch points this has already been successfully used by a guy who goes by the handle of the cake at the newy group hmm. and that's at the newy group.com and the newy group has is building a software called community core vision uh, which allows you to make your own old school surface 1.0 wow so I a love this project. So this is at newgroup.com and they're talking about this uh, CCV, this tool there, the, this app they're building so that you can make your own Surface, the old Surface, not the new Surface. Right. Yeah. So these guys have basically taken the old Surface SDK, Windows 7, and some custom drivers to make your own Surface, which is cool. That sounds like another show. I got to talk about that. That's too neat. Yeah. Uh, the problem, of course, is that the Surface SDK doesn't work at all in Windows 8. Right. However... The Cake, the same guy from the Nui group, also uh, has run across a project on CodePlex called Touch Injector. And that's at touchinjector.codeplex.com. <gasps> yeah, a little better know your framework coming in from the uh, from the listeners here. And that takes the TUI protocol messages from CCV applications and converts them straight into touch points. It's not an immediate solution to what you're doing, Carl, but it sure sounds like an awful lot of the bits you want. Ooh, nice. So, Nick, dude, you rock. Least we could do is send you a mug. Wow. So, Nick Barrett. Thank you for your insight and additional information. You've got us stuff to think about, and a coveted Tablet Show mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Tablet Show mug, just write a comment on the site at thetabletshow.com. You, sir, are smarter than me. <laughs> oh, there's yes, a, there's a flashback. <laughs> You're not going to bring up Mondays now because they're back. They're Mark and Karen are back in Mystic. And believe it or not, we were supposed to get together tonight to write some new bits for, for oh, Mondays. Oh, man. Oh, no. Yeah, but uh, that didn't happen. Anyway, thank you very much for that. And uh, let's just get to our guest. Greg Levenhagen has been designing and developing enterprise solutions and leading projects for a variety of businesses for over 10 years. He's worked on a diverse set of platforms using many different tools. He's a true enthusiast of computer science with passions and interests, including mobile, cloud, architecture, parallel, 
testing, agile, UX, 3D and games, languages, and much more. Greg is a senior software engineer with Skyline Technologies, board member of the FoxValley.net Users Group, co-founder of the Northeast Wisconsin Agile Users Group, an INETA speaker, an IEEE member, an ACM member, and substitute professor and PhD student. Wow. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thanks. It's great to be here. Now, I know that you've done some stuff with Connect because I went looking, and uh, you did a, a a talk on Connect programming. Yeah, so I've actually done several. So as you guys were talking, it was I found it rather interesting. Uh, last week, I actually just did one in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, just on getting developers up to speed with what the SDK is and what they can start doing. Oh, that's awesome. So what do you think of the uh, Windows 8 support? Uh, I haven't had a chance to play with that yet, but I'm very excited. I've been been waiting for that for a long time. I've put my submission into the technical access preview and trying to get answers to those questions. But like you said, that they're not very forward outside of the company no. itself. No, they're really not. It's October 8th is the date they're going to release that. But yeah, I, like I said, it's interesting and it makes a good headline, but oh, it's not a WinRT thing. I, that would be really cool. And I'm waiting for that. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, and do we actually care if Connect runs on ARM, or we just want it to run on the regular Intel platform, but inside of the Metro view? I think ultimately it'd be nice to have it on both. One thing that I was wanted to mention as you guys were chatting was the if you were holding it, something with facial recognition can also play in, even if you're holding the tablet. Oh, right. Yeah. In fact, even even more because you can bring it right up to your face rather than moving your head down to a computer. You know, for facial login, which I think is the real killer app for facial recognition. You know, you pick it up, you hold it to your face, and it says, welcome, Carl. Right. All right, still a little creepy. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing is going to be if it doesn't work all the time. I mean, because getting somebody's identity wrong, <laughs> that, that could be a real problem. Yeah, you might log somebody else in. Yeah. So it's got to work. It's got to fail more than it works positive false positive aren't we on the edge of this problem all the time i think about siri and all the voice rec stuff and and the you know voice-based search and the music lookup and all these things and it's like it's a it's a toy because it isn't reliable well and it's it's trying to mitigate the false positives so in my day job i'm actually besides doing windows 8 stuff trying to get connect uh professional development in place and so in talking with hospitals for example it's always a concern of what is the Connect going to offer in terms of false positives and how do you mitigate those? Yeah. It's okay if it does nothing, but it's not okay if it does the wrong thing. Right. But neither is good. So do you grasp, do you, you deal with this whole issue around the, the problems making the Connect driver work in, in what formerly known as Metro mode? I guess I got to come up with a better name. Yeah. Windows Store app. A Windows Store app. Yeah. So yeah, I, did I describe the prod- problem adequately, Greg? Is it just that because of the way that the, the store apps run, they there's no way for that SDK to work? From what I understand, yes. And if if we look at, from the developer perspective, of what WinRT is sitting on top of with, you know, wrapping around COM and, and ultimately Win32, it, it, it's a different level in the driver altogether. So you're, you're facing a whole different challenge. Hmm. It's problematic. But, I mean, in the end, do you see this as a good thing, the way that the, the Win8 platform works? Yes, I do, for a variety of reasons, because with the app model, it provides users an experience 
where it's the sandboxed app. And one of the nice features from a consumer standpoint is that when you uninstall it, everything gets uninstalled, even including your data. Now, from a developer perspective, that may cause some headaches, but when it's sandboxed for that user and they install that individual app and get that experience and uninstall it, it's something that Windows users haven't really had a great deal of confidence in in the years past with previous versions of Windows. Sure. But I mean, I mean, my my point of view on on the way Windows has worked is that software is fatty food, and and every time you install something in your machine, your cholesterol levels going on. Eventually, your machine needs an angioplasty. Right, and so for again, from a consumer experience, they offer that. I, I'm not sure if it's on the WinRT device, but uh, the the under the settings, there's a option to restart your PC or reboot your PC back to the original settings, right. and leave your data alone. So. I mean that that definitely takes away some of that cholesterol analogy, which is nice. Well, I think the whole the whole Windows Store concept is the idea of whitelisting apps. The apps that come through the App Store have been vetted by Microsoft. They're the if that's the only thing you ever install in your machine, Microsoft's basically committing to you: this won't rot your machine. There's no way to rot it. Right, and that and that gives a great level of confidence. And where I haven't seen that with some other, you know, competing platforms with Android, for instance, when I uninstall things, I see lots of littered data and pollution on my SD card as well as in other places. And so there's a guarantee with this new platform under Windows Store apps that that shouldn't happen. So what's interesting is if we move on from the individual sandbox uh, type of app, how did the apps actually communicate with each other or with the operating system? And so when we look at what Windows 8 offers as far as contracts with searching, sharing, the uh, tiles, notifications, and toasts, mm-hmm. uh, as well as even roaming data settings, it's a phenomenal way, and it's very well thought out. And I've had a pleasure of, of working on now my fifth app where communicating back and forth and, and having a Windows 8 broker service between apps that want to like share information or, or something is it, just a really robust and solid platform. And I think that that's part of that stability that the Windows 8 apps, store apps, uh, offer. So what is it you mean by contract? How is this just different from a good old-fashioned API call? There's an actual broker message that will kind of act as a queue or an intermediary when needed from app to app. So a really good example is with sharing. If one app wants to be a share source, the other app or apps can be share targets. Okay. And in order to make yourself a share source, you can get a data transfer manager out of the WinRT and it'll be under Manager, And ultimately then you have an entry point to, to talk to that broker and offer up information for sharing. So that can be something like a URL, plain text, bitmap image, HTML, uh, any number of files. And then whatever other uh, Windows Store apps are registered as share targets under those specific types, then when you actually click share through the broker, those other apps that are registered show up to the user and they can select which one they want to share to. So for instance, if you're browsing the web, and you're in IE and you want to share an HTML page, you can, it, it, 
say if there was a Facebook app, you know, say share, and then I would imagine that would be a share target, and you could go right there. Right. Or a better example would be there are Twitter apps like Metro Twit, and you can share that link directly in and tweet that out. Which is really compelling. I, I, does this show up in some kind of manifest when you install the app? Like it's able to say, here are all the things, how pieces we're going to connect to and how we're going to call. Is this okay with you? So there is a package uh, app, package.app manifest that allows us to specify some of the contracts. So we definitely turn on and off uh, toast capability. But within the capabilities tab under the package app manifest, mm-hmm. there are contracts with interacting with the device. So if the application wants to use the microphone or the webcam or something like that, then it will have the explicit permissions enabled. But as far as the sharing and search capabilities, there's not a uh, displayed technology to the user. It's just whether the app actually has built-in support for it or not. Yeah, so you, you don't have to ask the user, do you want to be able to share from this? That seems sort of silly. But can I use your location is something people really care about. Yes, definitely. Location, webcam, and there is a third one. I, I believe it's a microphone. Microphone. I mean, anywhere where you col- you could be collecting data from the user without them knowing. Yes, and, and those actually offer opt-out. So what's nice about those three being specially handled, because there are about, about 10 other ones, is that even if you want to install the app, but not allow those three things specifically, you can do so. That way, if a user doesn't want to share their webcam, they don't have to lose out on the entire experience of having that application. Awesome. Because that, that was exactly my next question. Because uh, too many times I see too many apps in the, in the phone space, uh, on Facebook, things like this, with this concept of a manifest, sort of giving you a list of things to do. And there's no recourse. You either agree to everything or you're out. Right. So now, I guess it's more work for us as developers, though, to say, okay, now how are you going to make this work without the webcam available? Yep, exactly. And and that's that's the correct way to do it from a user experience perspective. Mm -hmm. And along with Windows 8 development in general, there's a big shift where developers have to be concerned about that. And I think between the two websites that Microsoft has made available with design.windows.com and dev.windows.com, that it's really opened up a nice way for developers to learn and get up to speed on what that all means. So what's these two sites? I've not been to them. So the Windows 8 uh, store apps, design.windows.com, offers the user experience guidelines. Now you can download it all instead of browsing through the site, and the PDF, I believe, is about 300 pages. So it is very well documented. Hmm. And and it talks about how to do different interactions for touch, how to lay out potential user experience screens like the hub pattern or the flat pattern when you're trying to figure out what does it mean for my app to fit into this kind of user experience. Right. The dev.windows.com actually offers a bunch of sample apps that you can actually submit from a community perspective, but Microsoft has made a number of them available from uh, themselves and I believe the community ones will show up with the original publisher, and then the ones that are Microsoft submitted have the Windows SDK logo branded on them as well. Hmm. The total number of these, if you download them, will be, I believe it's a little over 300 sample apps. 
And the goal of each one of them is just to do one thing and do it well so that if you want to go and look at how do I implement searching in my application so that if I'm a a recipe app, you know, users can use the charms bar, hit search, select my app, and search right right within my data set, uh, they, they can find an example of exactly how to do that. The I mean the dev story is one thing. The designing the UI thing, this seems to be the problem. The actually thinking through the way an app's supposed to work in that form factor with this UI with touch. Correct. I've been helping out teams design their UX for Windows 8 apps over the last several weeks. In particular, one interesting pattern that I've come up with a decent analogy is the hub pattern mm-hmm. where you essentially will have three levels deep, and each level gets more and more granular as you break down into stuff. But of interest is that it's almost set up like a D-plus tree if you're thinking about database structure. Oh, really? Where indexes really matter. This is my analogy. I haven't heard anyone else use it, but... You know how few people are left that know what a B-positive tree yeah, is? right. That's pretty <laughs> old school, man. You just popped an original relational database metaphor on my UI. I'm a little scarred. <laughs> well, so so hear me out here. There's a hierarchical level, right? and you don't want to go three or four more than three or four levels deep in the height of the tree. Right. Because you're ultimately wanting the user to get to their data quickly. Right. So if you start out at hub at the top level of the tree and you have, you know, your two or three, maybe even a little more, and you're scrolling horizontally, you see those different hubs, you hit that, and then you maybe break down into section or categories. And those will also have potential horizontal scrolling. And you find whatever it is there and you ultimately then get to your details of an individual item. So I'm only three levels deep. The user didn't have to do a lot of interaction, and they got to what they needed to quickly. All right. I totally buy that, and your metaphor works perfectly, and most people aren't going to get it. But that's okay. <laughs> well, I guess that's guys, exactly the way we laid out indexes, right? It was be able to access a, a billion rows in six sorts, right? That was the magic. But uh, right. I, I appreciate this model because as soon as you get more than two levels down, people are lost. They just can't find their way. You, know, you don't want to get any deeper than that. Right, so that navigational structure even becomes difficult from a developer's perspective when you're, because these are tablet devices, so you're worried about what Microsoft refers to as PLM, which is like tombstoning from the phone days, where if you're coming out of a suspend or the app is terminated, and how do you handle backwards traversals in navigation? So it helps a a lot of different scenarios. I have definitely run into apps on my WinPhone 7 where the path through the app was so convoluted, I never could find my way back. And just starting, you know, going back to home screen and reloading the app was an easier route, which seems to me kind of dumb. Right. So I've had some experience with that as well. And it, it does become a little difficult. What's really nice about this, both on the JavaScript and the C Sharp side, there's a great way of hitting different enumerations uh, and determining what's happening with the state of the PLM mm-hmm. where you can restore that and save your data locally or roaming and bring that back up. So the navigation in, in the shrunken sense, whether you have a flat app, uh, and I'll define that in a second, or, or a hub-based app. With the flat app, that's typically more like a metro twit or something where you're not 
drilling down into deeper levels of content. It's all staying at one level, and the user interacts with all content in that one uh, canvas. This portion of the Tablet Show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the Tablet Show. I was reading an article by Mary Jo about um, contracts, and she uh, was bringing up that uh, Sanofsky told us that the closest analogy to a contract is a clipboard. And I kind of like that analogy, you know, where you can just sort of put stuff on the clipboard in a variety of different formats. Yes, and, and that way it becomes available for something else where, where Windows, the broker as part of Windows 8 is, is acting as actual clipboard. I can see in that, that does make sense, yeah. Yeah, that's a, kind of a nice nice analogy. She goes on to talk about how uh, Ray Ozzy, uh, got her thinking about Ray Ozzy's universal clipboard com, uh, concept dating back to 2006. You remember that, Richard? Mm-hmm. Sort of... Uh, Connecting websites and desktop apps, you've been using a combination of RSS feeds and uh, XML data and, and the desktop clipboard. Interesting idea. But it still sort of speaks to contracts as part of the OS. You know, the concept of share, the concept of, of you know, uh, uh, of clipboard, those kinds of things are very broad sort of subscribing to concepts. I just don't know how many of them, you know, how many can you list? Maybe three, four? Well, from a general concept perspective, it, it yeah, I think it's, it's probably only three or four in that regard. Mm-hmm. But then, if we extend that to being a more loose contract with the UX guidelines, right? So they're they're not hard set, but that interaction that is consistent, it will ultimately help the end users be happier with their experience. For instance, one thing we didn't mention so far is the app bar itself. Mm-hmm. Well, it's okay for your app to have primary functions within the views or pages, but anything other than that, you're, you're ideally looking at placing that in the app bar. And then you want to have consistency for what goes on the left, the right, as well as either top or bottom, mm-hmm. so that application to application from different developers, they end up having that similar user experience contract that may not be a hard hard set contract like the sharing or searching within our apps. Okay. You've gone through the process of putting something in the app store? Yes, I have. So what was that experience like? And in particular, did did they push back, you know, and say, no, this has to be a little more there? Like what level of detail did they of feedback did they give you when something didn't work right? Or did it just were you just like 
perfectly in tune the first time? Well, I was not perfectly in tune. So the first time that I actually went through the originally getting a token was back in May. However, I've gone through that process four times of approving an application. Now, I would imagine that this process may change in the future after general availability, but the way that it was designed was that Microsoft wanted everyone to make good apps for the general availability, so you were able to get two-hour sessions of meeting time, either in person or via link, and walk through your app with a Microsoft engineer, and you'd walk through these contracts, whether it's part of the designing UX or part of the actual charms integration, mm. and then also layout and what your app is, is supposed to be doing. And then they'd also help you with if how you want to monetize, if it's going to be free, use an SDK, uh, have trial periods or in-app purchases, as well as determining uh, some of the graphic work. So what I found interesting is that they would rather you have better performance where if I needed to include a lot of images, I could make my download uh, 200 meg or 300 meg, and that would ultimately make the user experience better once it's downloaded, but just include all those rather than having something referenced out in the cloud that then ultimately wouldn't make it as, as great. But did they give you that level of feedback when you when you submitted it? Did did, did it look like some uh, a real person was looking over your app and saying, eh, you know, I think you might want to do this instead? Yes. So so there's definitely a person that's involved with the submission process, and there's a tool that they've made available that you get. I, I believe it automatically comes when you install Visual Studio 2012 uh, on Windows 8, the Windows Application Certification Kit. And by running that tool, you get a whole bunch of lists of checks that will actually run against your application because it is sandboxed, and it, it will run it and take some time. I've seen it take you know, quite a quite a while, up to 15 minutes in some cases. And then it'll, it'll tell you if, for instance, your icons that should be black and white only have different colors in there. And it'll say, that's not, I, that's not the right way. You'll get rejected for that. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll say if you're breaking individual contracts. So you get a great sense of feeling whether or not your app is going to make it into the store before the human even looks at it. Right. So then once it goes to the store then a human will look at it, and uh, you do get feedback out of that as well. And then they'll itemize that list and work with you to, get, to ultimately get that happening. What kind of feedback did you get? Um, so I had a uh, an Excel doc that I actually worked with through email that the individual I was working with just itemized the individual list and was saying, well, this icon in the app bar is contextually... Uh, tied to something else on the other side, so you need to make sure that those are aligned on either the left or right, Wow, where that wasn't something that could be picked up from an automated tool. Wow, that's very cool. I mean, yeah. I think it's just awesome that the fact is that they really care about the end user's experience to the point where they're willing to to have somebody look and, and give you subtle suggestions. Right. But, you know, it also feels like we're slowly working our way back to the old style design guidance. You remember, I mean, I, life was good in the old windows with the, you know, what we now call battleship gray file goes here, help goes there. Toolbar goes here. Like that was a good book. I knew how to use that book and mm-hmm. I've been struggling 
ever since WPF showed up with what does this look like in WPF or XAML or, and now in Windows 8, it's, you know, there's actually bit by bit we're getting design guidance, but is there the equivalent doc? Like, is there a thing that clearly says this is how you should do it? Yeah, there is a style guide, but, uh, you know, the thing I can think of that would be a problem, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, if you if you design an icon, you know, like like you were talking about an icon being contextually different in a in the wrong place, but the icon itself, if it, you know, has too much color or not enough or is the wrong shape, maybe it's the right size, but the the graphic inside is too small or something like that. Those those are kinds of things that software won't pick up. Right. Yeah. So even when you're looking at for instance, the at manifest file in your project properties kind of stuff, it tells you what the wide logo size would be and what the small logo size will be. And for instance, badge logos, if you're doing update notifications on your tile. So you, it'll be able to warn you right away before you even have to run the WAC tool on that. So, What about the tooling in Visual Studio? Uh, 2012. Is there enough guidance in the in the tools, or are there ways that Visual Studio lets you sort of shoot yourself in the foot to to get outside of the style guidelines? I've actually thought that the built-in projects uh, start out rather well and give you a great place for developers to adhere to the guidelines. If you start out with a entirely blank, empty project then you'll have to do a little bit more work to make sure that you follow those. But for instance, there's the built-in grid app and a uh, split app and like a fixed layout and then the navigation app. Uh, those are the ones that are under the JavaScript, for instance. They differ between the C-sharp version as well. The C-sharp differs because it also has a class library where you can compile that to WinMD and share those among other Metro apps. And then there's also a unit test library for the C-sharp side. But those are great starting points and inherently have the layouts in place. Now, they're just black and white, so there's no color, but you get a great example of, of how you want to do, say, a hub or a flattened or some other kind of custom. But if you're going to go completely off the wall or you're going to do a game, you're going to start out with a blank and you're going to ultimately have to come up with your own uh stuff to handle and make sure that you're within the guidelines. It's interesting to bring up games as, as, a, as another application area because they don't necessarily need to follow a lot of what the guidelines mm-hmm. say for interacting with the app. Mm-hmm. But if you go, if you think back to what we were talking about earlier with the contracts in the OS, say you want to share your high scores or you want to give your about and settings page, well, that really, those, those really like, uh, those, that interaction should really occur through the charms on the right-hand side. Right. Well, even searching, maybe there's your game has some kind of search capability. And then you'd ultimately still want to include your pause, uh, restart, whatever kind of uh, global uh, actions that you can define with the game, they would make sense to go into the app bar, for instance. That's cool. I like I, I liked that, and I liked it that we're getting to this point in sort of making the way apps should work. And it, it speaks all the way back to what we were talking about with Connect. Clearly, there's going to be a Connect contract at some point. Right. And of interest to that, if, if we compare this to other platforms that have been around, you know, I'm going to go on record as saying something that may be a little controversial, but the way I, I see it is that 
iOS wasn't all that innovative as far as the user experience because ultimately it was still a desktop with icons. Right. The innovation was very much in the 100% touch device. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was great. Now we're seeing something that's going away from the the plain Jane icon, and we are actually having the updated tiles. And you can actually interact now. And, you know, there's a great example out on the web of where you can hit the, the pause and the play button without actually firing up the music app mm-hmm. and actually interacting and, and taking action. And you're then getting updated feeds right there, and it's customizable user experience so that you're getting a dashboard. And, and this is something that's drastically different from the iOS interaction or the Android interaction. And I think that if users go into it thinking that this is an entirely new interaction system, that they'll end up liking it because they ultimately did that with thinking, okay, this is Android, this is something new, or this is iOS, this is something new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They go in expecting it to be like Windows XP or Windows 7. I think that some of their expectations aren't going to be met. I agree. The other the other big piece that I thought iOS brought to the table here, and admittedly they did it unwillingly. You know, I remember Jobs saying when the when the phone first came out, if you want to build for the phone, you'll build in Safari. The the, the App Store thing all came later, but I, it, it hit me in a conversation I had with Mark Rasinovich over on Run As. He talked about the whitelist security approach, just this idea that because they had a blank slate, they were building all new, you could only get apps through the App Store, there was no other way, and this sort of sense of inherent security and reliability that came from that, that really fixes a problem we've been struggling with with software for so long. Right. And and, and to tie back to even getting apps into the stores, it is my understanding that the iOS and the Windows Store have human interaction while Android does not. Right. And I, I find that a lot of times, you know, I've had one of my phones as an Android for two and a half years. It is the most frequent phone to cause force closures. And I, I think that at the root of that cause may be because things can get through automated without a, a good due diligence and checking. Right. Uh, I got a question from Twitter, which I think is a logical place for us to progress to, which is, uh, can you talk to us about the sort of remote debugging development experience between your desktop dev machine and the tablet? Can you build your app on the desktop and then be machine and then be able to deploy it to a tablet and be able to do some good testing that way? Yes, and it actually works fairly well. So back in May, uh, middle of May, I was in Chicago and participated in the hackathon where more than half the people in the hackathon were actually doing that uh, because of the lack of devices that really supported it. Mm-hmm. But more recently, um, I'm one of the uh, staff members that helped run that conference, where, oh, shameless little plug, thatconference.com. I was there. Yes, you were. These were the great keynote. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks. I had a great time being there, too. And I got introduced to Cards Against Humanity, which I now own a full set of, because that is the evilest card game known to man. <laughs> I mean, we played that. That, was, that must have been a good four or five hours, and I was laughing so hard. Oh, yeah. You have to stop because your sides hurt. That's when you quit <laughs> yes. playing this stupid game. And you find out an awful lot about people's personalities from that stupid game. My it, God. it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll stay on topic here. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, you know, the, the registration mm-hmm. at that conference. So a number of us had some slate devices that we've been running Windows 8 at the time release preview on. And in order to actually get the same app 
package through without having to install Visual Studio on all of these and, and transferring over the source code and running it. We actually just remote debugged from most of them where they were actually running our registration app nice. that we had written. Uh, the, the Mongs, Luen, and then Mong wrote, and it's a uh, sat on top of Eventbrite. And so we were able to do touchscreen registration for the whole conference that way. And it was all done re- via remote debugging onto, uh, onto Windows 8. So do you see this as an, I mean, I just think that the build tablet is an oddball tablet that you could even run studio on it. I think the much more normal development pattern would be big horsepower desktop machine for development, tablet sitting right beside you, you do some work, you play with it on the machine. Like that seems like a really normal interaction pattern. Yes. And, and that's, that's what was happening at the hackathon. Now, I, now I, this is all speculation, but I would imagine that a year from now, most laptops that are going on sale will be not only Windows 8, but, but be touchscreen enabled. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think that that might be only a, sh- a short-term gap that we need to fill from a development perspective. For me, I've, I hesitated putting Windows 8 on my you know, production machines until there was a, a, a real version, and I only used it on my tablets. And uh, for that reason, I never really got the desktop experience. And, uh, you know, so I didn't do, I, I did some development on all the development I did for Windows 8 was on a tablet with a keyboard, you know, a little keyboard and mouse. But uh, not having the touch there is interesting. Um, you, you really do rely on the Windows key a lot and uh, typing around to find things and launch things that aren't readily available. But um, other than that, I find it really, really the way to develop uh, Visual Studio apps. Which, which brings up an interesting piece because I have always been a keyboard ninja kind of guy, right? Where if I had to move my hand to the mouse, it's slowing down my development activities. Yep. So I, I am actually one of the guys that, you know, I use the VI key bindings in Visual Studio because I find that it, I'm even more efficient. So when I'm developing these kind of apps and I'm, I'm doing it on the slate, which is like the, it's a newer version of the build device, I leave the touch points on and I can actually interact that way when I'm debugging. And it's, it's odd that I've made such a, a transition when I'm doing Windows Store apps to have that touch ability during the bug and I'm okay with it. But I, I, I so in a weird sense, I haven't actually learned and taken advantage of all the shortcuts on the Windows key. And, and now that you bring that up, uh, I need to probably go revisit that. What's the one I, I'm using all the time? It's, uh, the uh, Windows key C for the charms. Yeah. Yeah. That one, you need it. And Windows key Q for the the command line to t- type the name of the app you want to run. When I'm actually testing the app as I'm developing it, I want to fully understand the user experience for the end user, sure. not necessarily me, to make sure that, that things are flowing in the correct way. We always get that same old problem of we, we're not building these apps for us. Mm. And we love shortcut keys, and everybody else thinks we're freaks. <laughs> That's right. Don't matter to me. <laughs> I, I definitely want to bring up Blend as well. Really? And some of yeah, and, and some of the JavaScript enhancements. I because in general we're talking about Windows 8 development, mm-hmm. and the support for JavaScript in Blend is actually really, really surprising. I. I've done a lot of WPF and Silverlight, and then you know most recently with Windows Phone, and saw that the Blend support for XAML was really well done, and 
with JavaScript coming as a first-class citizen in Windows 8, I was surprised that it is either at or maybe even a little bit better than the XAML support when I'm making Windows 8 apps. So I, I don't think that when developers are, are looking at trying to interact and make their user experience fit the whole Windows guidelines, that they should they should not overlook the blend user experience as well in, in as part of the development process. Well, and you know, now you seem like an odd duck to me all of a sudden, Greg, because are you actually balancing yourself between being a designer and a developer? Like, where, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely have some passion in, in making sure that the applications are, are done well. Um, at, at my heart, I'm definitely a developer. I, you, I cannot sit down and draw a person's face or anything like okay. that from a, from a raw de- design perspective. But as far as making UX, um, you know, interactions and some animations, I, I definitely dabble around that, that realm. Well, and I really appreciate that because it gives me hope, right? I just feel like there's never going to be enough designers. Designers aren't the same as UI or UX interaction experts. They're even rarer, you know, their hen's teeth are so rare. But the idea right. that a developer could pick up a set of skills to have a basic sense of design, those patterns, and more, and focus on interaction thank goodness like if that's really possible we're going to make it through this uh, this new world it, it, it's it's definitely something and ultimately i think it comes down to passion if if you have an understanding and a, and a want to do that i think it's definitely capable if you're a developer that really just likes the nitty-gritty side of it which which i do but i but i i go a little bit beyond that i think it really helps and being a consultant for 10 12 years I've seen a lot of different projects go live, and there isn't UX emphasis on the ultimate final product. You can have a, an adverse effect on people's lives on their day-to-day stuff if mm-hmm. you're making enterprise applications, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So by providing a good user experience, in some way, I can make their lives a little bit easier, uh, whether they know it or not. So I think it's a worthwhile cause. And are you really building enterprise tablet apps? I mean, mostly we were talking about the App Store, which I guess is more you know consumer apps. So with Windows 8, it's been uh, non. It, it's been business to consumer style apps. Right. It, it has not been enterprise apps. Microsoft has an inter- interesting program, and it's called the Map Program, where it's a application acceleration initiative, and that actually helps promote some enterprise applications as well. Although it's interesting to see how that'll all play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm still really wrestling with what tablets look on the enterprise, although I have a pretty good keynote on the subject. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Over the past several months, I've helped present and do full-day sessions on getting developers up to speed, either through creating apps in a, in a hackathon fashion or through a boot camp that lasts the entire day. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple questions that I've I've given to the audience, and two of them, one, one I want to bring up for sure on the enterprise is, how do developers see this potentially fitting in? The the initial reaction that I get a lot of times is they'll by default set the desktop mode so that the users in the enterprise will see that and never actually go to Metro. Yeah, and as I've already seen somebody's got a download to replace the start button. Right. And what's interesting to that, and, and I challenge them as an exercise to think, well, if you're making new applications, why is that needed? Like, why do you need to stay with, with that? And now, if you're supporting existing applications, that definitely makes sense. I would never argue for you to, 
just rewrite it for the sake of rewriting it. But if you're making a new application, you should definitely think about it. And what usually goes hand-in-hand with enterprise apps is data entry of some fashion. There isn't a... uh, you know, a black and white decision between it being a Windows Store app and data entry. For instance, the Mail app is works perfectly fine for me to go between different Mail accounts. I currently have four, and I type up and respond to different emails, and I'm producing and consuming data in, in a very efficient fashion. So even though it may not be directly and immediately apparent as to how you would design that application, I think that you can get a lot of benefit out of potentially making that a Windows Store app. And I'm saying Windows Store app as as the new name, but from my understanding, there will also be enterprise-only released app stores. Yeah, some kind of side-load solution. Correct. So some kind of side-load solution that you don't actually have to, or where you can keep it within your company. Yeah. I thought the term now was modern UI-style apps. That, that could be the case. So... For all, for all the listeners, wherever I said Windows Store apps is modern <laughs> UI style apps. Uh, you know, and there seems to be some confusion about that. Yes. I've seen both. The app formerly known as Metro. Right. Right. Another very interesting question that I asked that uh, I found surprising as well as with others in the community I've talked to in the Midwest is when I get, you know, 50 to 80 people in these kind of full-day sessions and I, I ask for a raise of hand of who has come to, and, and shown their interest on the C-sharp XAML side. And nearly everyone will raise their hand because the typical audience in, in these events has been line of business developers. Hmm. And, and they get experience with either C-sharp or VB. And then I ask, well, who is interested on the HTML5 JavaScript side? Now, again, this isn't the, the web developer on the non-Microsoft stack. Right. Most of these are line of, uh, line of business developers already on the Microsoft stack. And only one or two will raise their hand. And so then I ask, usually as a follow-up question, and say, how many of you consider yourself experts in XAML? And only one or two will raise their hand. So that means 50-some of these people out of 60 will raise their hand because they love C-sharp, and they figure that XAMLs should be easy enough for them to learn. Yeah. But the, but then I, I turn around and ask a final question and say, how many of you have worked with both HTML and JavaScript, and nearly everyone raises their hand. Wow. So they're, they're willing to, to stay on that platform rather than learn the HTML JavaScript. And I'm guessing it's because of negative connotation on the JavaScript side, because I, I doubt it can be on the HTML side. Yeah, well, I mean, HTML's got its problems too. But and yeah. I, I see exactly what you're getting at. Here's everybody saying, no, we're not going to do development on Win 8 with HTML, Java, the WinJS thing. But we all know HTML and JavaScript. Uh, they want to work in C Sharp. Although, you know, one of the challenges here, and I, and I want to pin you on this, anybody who calls himself a XAML expert doesn't really understand the problem. You know, XAML is such a broad technology. It's This is back to the Dunning-Kruger effect. Right. The more you know about it, the more frightened you are of it. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with that. So if you do consider yourself a XAML expert, what I mean by that is you have experience with WPS, Silverlight, Windows Phone, on uh, developing those different platforms. So you understand what those controls offer you, you understand the binding and how to do templating. Mm-hmm. So that is, you know, it's that ultimate declarative markup language. And, yep. and it definitely offers something that you can use. 
And I, I get the idea that Sanofsky tried to level the platform between the three, the C++ XAML, C Sharp XAML, WinJS. I just wonder, it, it still feels to me like C Sharp XAML is the way to go. Yes. So when I was talking about the differences in the developer interest, I, I want to make clear that, so I've done s- several apps in HTML, JavaScript side, as well as uh, uh, three apps now in the XAML and C Sharp side. And they both have their pros and cons at this point. I think they're both going to grow, and you definitely tackle problems a little differently depending on which stack you're on. But they both can get it done. Ultimately, with JavaScript and C Sharp, you're working with third-generation languages, and you, you can get done what you what you need to. I haven't had the experience of doing C++ on Windows 8 yet. Uh, I The last time that I've done C++ was probably around year 2000, mm-hmm. so... Need to brush up on some skills there and and, and see what I can do, but um, definitely interested in that as C plus plus has come back as a first class citizen. Yeah, in a big way. I'm waiting to be blindsided by those guys because I don't consider myself one of those guys anymore. Yeah, it's it was interesting because through the '90s I did I did a bunch of uh, pseudo game development where I worked on a couple different game engines and some graphic stuff and ray tracing and stuff through college, and that was all in C plus plus. And when it was on Windows. It was using Visual C++, so it, I have that in my history, and, I, and I'm eager to, to see what I can do now on Windows 8, and, and if it does really make a difference. For sure. To go back to your, your point about uh, C-Sharp and XAML being the way to go, it, it's it's interesting because I think if you already know your C-Sharp side, and, and if you're comfortable taking on XAML, if you haven't done it already, by all means, that, that's the place where the typical enterprise line of business type developer is going to transition well. I think the HTML and JavaScript side can come where if you're used to doing PHP style apps or Ruby on rail apps or Mm -hmm. something like that, and you can now come over to the Microsoft stack and make applications without a huge learning curve. It's my impression that that's where the target audience really was. Yeah, I I tend to agree Mm -hmm. with that. And we've talked to folks that are building in there and so forth. I mean, everything's got its problems and everything has its potential. Right. So, Greg, what's next for you? Um, publicly, I am speaking in Milwaukee next week on how HTML makes you a Windows 8 app developer already. Nice. Awesome. I've got a couple other events on a national level. In December, I'll be at VS Live in Orlando with two sessions on, well, one on Windows 8 and one on... Windows 8 slash Windows Phone uh, with Azure at the back end, so doing notifications and stuff like that on the mobile mobile side. Oh, cool. So, Greg, thanks for spending this hour with us. It's been enlightening. Yes, uh, definitely. I, I had a blast as well. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you next time on The Tablet Show, and we'll see you out on the road somewhere. It's not too much, but it means a lot. Just